0: Thank you so much. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Um, I'm imagining some of you are here for the, in the first service. You might normally come to second so you can watch the cricket later on today. Um, I should be joining you uh, in that if I get a chance. Um, thank you so much, Sue, uh, for your welcome. As Sue said, my name is Kirsty, and um, we are coming to the end of our series this morning on Love Matters. We have today and next week left to go. And during this series, we have tried to cover what we can of what God says about our sexuality, our identity, and relationships how we can show the kindness and the goodness of God in a world that really is struggling to get to groups of what it is to value people's life choices and who they are we're learning how to honor people and we've been learning how to try and live out biblical truths in a world that can sometimes feel so countercultural And I know that it's probably felt hard going at times and maybe raised more questions that we didn't even know we had. But I wanted to just remind you and encourage you that the purpose of a series like this has been to equip us to live more like Jesus, to be more like him and to bring him to the world around us. Jesus is 100% truth and 100% love. And we live in a world that desperately needs to hear that. But you know, we need to hear that in this room as well, don't we? The messages over the last weeks have been designed to help us show that there is grace and there is mercy and there is hope and there is redemption. We pursue him in all his fullness. Life in all its abundance is to be found in Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's what we're going after, right? That's a good start, I think. So next week, PJ is going to finish us off by landing the series on how we live all this out as a family going on from here. But today, as by popular request, I'm going to be talking about the subject of dating. <laughs> so I had um, asked the lovely Josh and Samara Noblett to come and help with this. They have recently modelled that so well for us. But sadly, Josh is sick today, so they're unable to do it. So you're stuck with me and my grey hairs, I'm afraid. So... When I knew I had this topic, of course, I immediately went back to when I first met my now-husband, Matt, which was over 20 years ago, and uh, we met in in the house that I lived in at the time, I shared with a friend, and the bathroom door had somehow got jammed with both of us on the outside. So, as Dams was in distress, we called a friend of ours to say, can you come and help us fix the door, which he duly did and brought with him Matt, who'd been spending the evening with him, I hadn't met him before and uh, they fixed the door. And uh, Matt has subsequently said that if he'd known it was going to be his bathroom door, he wouldn't have kicked it quite so hard. Um, but they fixed the door, and Matt and I got talking about sports, and then, get this, he said to me for my, our first date, how about I come round and we watch some videos of Russian swimmers in training with subtitles? <laughs> I tell you, the guy really... He's not here now, he's here second service, so, you know. The guy really knew how to wow a girl. And, um, but you know what, wow me he did, because over 20 years later, here we are, you know, three kids, a couple of dogs, a cat, a few degrees and a house extension, we're still standing. So something went right. But um, those of you who know me will know that um, I love nothing more than to open the Bible and to help us learn how to apply the living and active Word of God to our lives. We encounter God through Scripture. His truth changes us, it encourages us, it equips us. The Bible is our blueprint for life, right? So except on this subject, it's a little tricky because actually the Bible has nothing specifically to say about dating. So, whatever it was Moses was downloading at this point, it was not guidance on how to date. Because there is no basis, uh, there is no cultural basis in biblical times for dating, that's why it isn't in there. If anything, at the time that the Bible was written, really all we could see was arranged marriages. In actual fact, a recent survey in Psychology Today tells us that arranged marriages are happier and tend to last longer, Um, so just saying. Um, But actually, they are no longer the norm for Western society. So we have no context in the Bible to help us with this. In fact, it wasn't until the 20th century and the birth of the entertainment industry that the whole concept of dating ever really existed, when people would go out on a date, maybe to the cinema or to have a meal. I had my first date, at the tender age of 11 with Kevin, wherever you are in the world today, Kevin Batchelor. Um, Kevin would come round to my house on a Monday after school, and we would play snooker, and then we'd go to computer club together. And uh, I knew things were serious when one week he brought round seven packets of love hearts in an effort to find one that said, Kiss me. <laughs> None of them did. But he and I were very sick that night, so... I thought it was really sweet of him, pardon the pun. But um, look what you find in packets of love hearts in those days. Only you, trust me, be wise, ever yours. Very sweet. Things have moved on. If Kevin and I were carrying out the same modus operandi, look what we'd find today. Skype me, tweet me, swipe right, take a selfie. I had to look up a couple of acronyms, I don't even know what they mean. So um, things have moved on. If only it were that innocent though, right? It wouldn't be unusual these days for a first date to be spent in bed together and then to decide if you want a relationship. That is certainly the message we get from the media and from our friends, isn't it? So how can we bring godly wisdom into a time when our culture is so far removed from what the Bible was teaching at the time, when there are no obvious examples to look at? Well, I'm going to give us some principles to work from, and then I'll be straying into opinion to apply them. So be warned against claiming that this is what the Bible teaches, because it isn't, and I don't want to be struck down by a thunderbolt. However, the principles really are. I think there is freedom in terms of how we navigate this journey, but we can navigate it via the principles that the Bible does tell us about how to live our lives more generally. So that's our task today. Our task is to try and extract some biblical principles that we've got about how we uh, guard our hearts, how we honour others, what God's sovereignty means in our life, our identity in Christ, and most importantly, how we're living our lives to glorify God. So we have all that biblical basis to work from and now we've got a stretch to work out how we're going to apply it. So, I'm going to do a few dos and a few don'ts. So we'll start with the don'ts. My first don't is, don't take a shopping list approach. Resist the temptation to draw up a list of what you might look for in a partner and then search on the basis of that list. Why? because I think that's a real consumerist approach. And if you base a relationship on consumerism, it's doomed for failure. When I go to the supermarket, I go to get a a tin of beans off the shelf because I want to consume them for my dinner. The beans owe me nothing, there is no two-way relationship going on here. I get the beans, I will eat them, they'll serve a nutritional purpose, allegedly, and then they'll be gone. Human relationships are just not like that. We shouldn't be setting out to consume or base our choices on shallow observations, such as being tall or handsome or having nice teeth or a good sense of humour, although Matt has all of those things. If you must have a list, keep it short, like, are they breathing? And if you're a Christian, do they share my faith? Okay. Sharing faith is a really important foundation for a relationship. That's a great thing to have on your list. But other than that, you know, keep an open mind our primary goal is to get to know somebody, to find out who they are, to celebrate them, to listen to them. That's our starting point, and then we kind of go from there. Of course, sometimes, these days, people don't always meet in person. Many will make contact through dating sites, of which there are an estimated over 8,000 across the world at the moment. That can mean first contact might be via a profile, which could perhaps feel a little bit shopping list or arm's length-like. But you know, once you cut through that initial contact, there's every opportunity to pursue a relationship just like any other. Here's what one Christian friend said to me about internet dating. I've just changed the names. Peter emailed me through a Christian dating site, and I let his email sit in my inbox for a week before I answered. I kept flicking back and forth through his profile to figure him out, and eventually I emailed him. And what started then was an online conversation back and forth for maybe six weeks, and then we actually met. By then it felt like I knew him. So off we went to a date. My best friend knew where I was going and with whom. Peter and I met in a restaurant and sat and talked non-stop for four or five hours, and that couple have been happily married for many years now and are raising their own family. There's a number of different ways that we can meet, a number of different environments. But when we do meet, remember, we're here to find out about the other person first and foremost, to love and value them for who they are. The second one, avoid the trap of searching for the one. It is certainly not a biblical principle. In fact, I'd say it's anti-biblical to believe that there is the one soulmate for you. This idea comes from Plato's Symposium. It does not come from scripture. The idea we all have one soulmate that makes us complete is simply untrue. How do I know that? Well, I know it because first of all, Scripture teaches that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are all imperfect, so none of us can be a perfect match for somebody else. And secondly, we are all made complete in Christ. Regardless of our stage of life, young, old, married, single, parent, grandparent, we are all complete as who we are in Jesus. We don't need somebody else to make us complete. So don't get hung up on looking for the one, because there isn't going to be that perfect match out there for you. The third point is what I call the Gideon's Fleece example, which I would say is don't take the decision to go dating too seriously. I'm not suggesting that we should take up speed dating as a sport or that we become flippant with each other's kind of emotions. what I am saying is it's okay to give it a go without praying for months, laying down fleeces or needing to hear the audible voice of God. In other words, don't hyper-spiritualise dating. Yes, be wise. Yes, speak to God. And maybe a trusted friend. But you're not signing your life away just by going for a coffee. It's okay to give it a go. The fourth principle is the grass is greener. Don't set out on a date with the belief that once you're in a relationship with somebody, everything will be all right you'll be disappointed. God created us to be in relationship with each other. It's natural to want to hear someone say, I love you. But you need to realize that this is not the be all and end all. Christ is sufficient for us. So if we haven't met a partner yet, or indeed don't have a desire to, we will not be living substandard or incomplete lives, nor are we left hanging for various issues to get resolved. Married people rarely have married problems. They have single people problems. Married problems are about deciding where to squeeze a toothpaste in the toothpaste tube. Problems about poor communication, selfishness, laziness, anger, bad money management. These are human problems. They're just colliding under the same roof when you get together. Just because you start dating someone, it doesn't mean you're going to stop feeling lonely. If you're insecure as a single, you'll be insecure in a relationship. If you have a porn addiction as a single, you'll have an addiction in a relationship. If you lie when you're single, you'll lie when you're in a relationship. Dating does not heal wounds. It will not change you from Mrs. Cranky to Mrs. Sunbeam. It will not make you suddenly Mr. Dependable. It doesn't solve your issues. It actually doubles them. So learning to trust God for the season that we are in and the season to come is a really important part of our Christian journey, whether we're single, married, dating or not. It's about understanding and knowing that who we are in the moment, who God is making us to be, is the most important thing. So those are my suggested don'ts. Don't go into it with a shopping list mentality. Don't look for just the one Don't get too hung up on hyper spiritualizing dating. And don't think the grass is always greener on the other side. So those are the don'ts. How about the do's? How can we do it really well? Well, I am going to get some help directly from Scripture here, and we're going to turn to Song of Songs. Song of Songs is a book of poetry. It's a love story, and it's involving an exchange between a man and a woman with contributions from their friends. It is ambiguous, and it's open to opinion. It's what we would call descriptive text. There are two types of texts in the Bible. Some are descriptive, some are prescriptive. Prescriptive is where there's a direct instruction given to us, like, for example, the 10 commandments that we are directly to follow. Descriptive is when texts are describing what's going on in certain situations, and that's, that's the case in Song of Songs. We can observe what's going on, and there are things that we can certainly glean from it, but well, it doesn't have the weight of being directly instructive. Does that make sense? So, reading from Song of Songs, my first point is to talk about the chase. So, in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 8, it goes as follows This is the woman talking, and she's describing the man who's pursuing her. Listen, my beloved, look. Here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, my darling, come, beautiful one, come with me. What a romantic! I can imagine the young people will be squirming in their seats next service. The woman is not passive in this, though. In chapter 1, verse 4, she says, Take me away with you, let us hurry. She wants to let him know that she wants him, and he really wants her. There's a difference, you know, guys, between flirting salaciously, trying to allure someone purely through physical attraction or suggestive language, and being engaging and open and warm-hearted and complimentary. It is really important that we take care of ourselves, that we demonstrate self-respect in how we look and conduct ourselves. This is a wonderful exchange as well of compliments between them. We read in chapter 1 a bit later on. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves. It's a lot about animals and deers and doves and things. She says, how handsome you are, my beloved. How charming. In this period of the chase, they're giving and receiving compliments to each other. They're both really engaged. In this instance, the man's pursuing. I'm not saying that women can't. I really think they can, and there's nothing wrong with that. In this example, though, we see the man leading. He's stepping up, not to boss or to take charge, but to care for, to listen, to love, and to risk. I just want to pause on risk for a moment because I think it's really important that in a whole dating setup, we really understand the importance of taking a risk. We're conditioned from a young age not to take risks. One of the phrases you most often hear in a play park is, be careful, be careful, we'll be talking to our kids. But taking risks, and no, I don't mean being reckless, is really an important part of life. Just check out this video for a moment. That is my 11-year-old son, hurling himself down Robin Hill on a skateboard. I tell you, be careful what you pray for, parents, if you want adventurous and courageous kids. (laughs) That's little Oscar taking a risk. I'm not scared of Oscar falling off a skateboard and getting a few nettle stings or bumps or bruises, but I am really scared of him growing up being frightened to get on a skateboard. I want him to know how to take risks in life. Risk and rejection are part of life. We need to learn to fail, and to fail well. If we don't learn that, we end up living an impoverished version of who we could be. Without being willing to take risks, Matt wouldn't have asked me on a first date. He wouldn't have told me he loved me. We wouldn't have three kids. I wouldn't be doing this job. We have to be prepared to take risks. We encourage our kids to put themselves out there, take a few music exams, see if you can pass, climb a few trees, turn up at a race you think you might not win, and try anyway. Successes and failures that we can do together help build a foundation of knowing that our self-worth and our value and our significance is not based on external things and our circumstances or people's responses to us, but it's based on who Jesus says we are. Understanding that truth really frees us from a paralyzing lifestyle of trying to insulate ourselves from anything that might cause us to feel somehow rejected or let down or vulnerable. Guys and girls, you have to take risks when it comes to dating. I am not saying you should throw caution to the wind, or be indiscriminate in who and when you date. And of course we need wisdom to guide those decisions. But don't hold back through fear of failure or rejection. Sometimes we need to get on the skateboard and take a risk. The second one is the line. One of the most common questions when it comes to dating these days is appropriate boundaries. Does it matter how far we go physically in relationships? As I mentioned earlier, it's not uncommon these days for relationships to start with sex. So why is that an issue? Well, we've heard earlier in the series that the Bible uh, points us towards sex being reserved for marriage only. Why would God say that? Well, we've previously talked about the covenant relationship between a man and a woman and how much God values covenant relationships. When they become one flesh, that is a covenant relationship. Sex is sacred. But I think there are other practical reasons for us as we build relationships as to why this is important. I can remember one of my children asking me a few years ago now, Mum, what happens if you get married and then a few years down the line you find out something about the person you married that you really don't like, in fact, you really hate it about them? What do you do? Well, we were, op- from that point, able to start having a conversation about that is why we don't start with sex. Sex obscures our ability to make good choices. Objectivity goes out of the window. When the chemistry gets going and you can't keep your mind off other thing or other things off each other, no one else has ever loved me like this before, this is the most amazing person in the world. You can't see clearly and you can't actually see who they really are. You can't build a relationship built on sex, you're going to want more. You're going to want a friend and a companion, someone to do life together. You want it to last for decades. A famous chef on his fourth marriage, uh, now, said that he felt his previous three marriages had failed because, and I quote, I was too keen to find someone. I've been on my own for so long and was lonely. If I was guilty of something, it was wanting too much too soon, and not being reserved and just racing in too early. Song of Songs has some good advice for us here. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, don't wake up the sexual part of your relationship until you can follow it all the way through, i.e., when you're married. So how can you do that if you're in a relationship with a beautiful girl or a handsome guy who you're potentially falling in love with? Well, here are some really simple principles that I think can help avoid a slippery slope. Very practically. Firstly, make sure that you talk to each other about what you're comfortable with and stick to it. Ask a friend to keep you accountable and revisit that together. Secondly, I would say an absolute non-negotiable is keep your clothes on and don't touch what you haven't got. One thing can lead to another, and quickly you will want to be trying to keep away from that sort of temptation. I love Coke and I would drink it every day if I could, but I don't, because I know it's really bad for me. So I don't even allow it in our fridge, because it wouldn't last one minute if it was a simple arm's length away in the kitchen. I have to keep it a long way away from me. I have to get in my car and go to the shop and find the money. Don't have things too close that you can't resist the temptation of. Keep them a Mr. Tickle arm's length away. (laughs) Don't make it so easy that it is almost impossible to say no. Thirdly, I would try and decide before you go out on a date what you're going to do and agree a time that you're going to say goodbye. Trying to make good decisions in the heat of the moment is virtually impossible. If I know that I need to go for a run first thing in the morning, it is no good me deciding when I wake up, should I go for a run or not, because I'm not going to want to. My bed is warm and comfortable, I'm feeling sleepy, I haven't got much time in the morning. I have to decide the night before that I'm going to do that. When my, I have to make the decision when my mind is clear and there are no other distractions. I set my alarm, I get my kit ready to go. I decide when I'm not being distracted. Another good way to think about how far is too far is to consider how will you feel when you look into your husband or wives. Uh, eyes on your wedding day. Will there be any regret there from something that you've done before? Remember, your present will become your past, but it will enter into your future. When I see somebody with a guy who I've once dated, who I've dated before, would I feel guilty when I see them with a new partner? That I've had too much of that person, or ashamed that they've had too much of me? Certainly when I was dating Matt, that really helped me think about kind of what was okay for us and what wasn't. When thinking through boundaries like this as well, another question that people regularly ask me is, at what age should people date? And I would answer this question by saying that it's not so much an issue of age, but more of maturity, and whether you're prepared to head towards marriage at some point in the not-too-distant future. If you're not of an age to think through the boundaries we've just talked about, I would say you're probably not ready for a serious relationship. If you want to spend intentional one-on-one time with somebody over an extended period, I'd say you need to think really carefully about where you think that relationship's going. For sure, be friends, enjoy time together, but don't be too exclusive, too serious and too intimate if you think you'll never marry. It's just not fair on either partner. And thirdly, the friends and family, how to help. In Song of Songs, the friends affirm the relationship. We rejoice and we delight in you. We live in a highly individualistic society, but relationships aren't meant to be done in secret. They're there to be worked out in community with other people. We need the wisdom, rebuke, encouragement and clarification that trusted friends and family can bring to us. People start dating sometimes and they just disappear for a year. Don't do that. Stay in community with your friends and your family. Open your relationship up to people who you know and trust. Be prepared to be honest about the good and the bad, and that will help you pace your way through really well. Mums and dads, the best way I think you can help your kids is to set a really good example to them at home as to how men and women should treat each other. If you are seeking to become the type of person that you would like your kids to date, then the chances are they will follow that guideline, because we all know our kids watch us closer than we think. And lastly, a word to friends particularly, please resist the urge to gossip. There is nothing worse than having people whispering behind backs about possible matches and potential dates. It is horribly exposing, and it can push people and couples to make decisions before they're ready. Gossip is toxic, full stop, which is, guess, I guess, why the Bible warns against it. Don't dine out on speculation about other people's lives. It is unkind, it is disrespectful, and it is not helpful in any way. So here are a few, those are a few of my thoughts. When considering dating, be up for the chase and for being chased. Be clear and sure about your boundaries and your intentions and involve trusted others in your journey. Great relationships are built on good decisions, wise decisions, not strong emotions, which are given to peaks and troughs at the mercy of the prevailing winds. Falling in love is easy. It requires a pulse. Staying in love requires more. Love is a verb. It's a doing word. We need to keep doing it. So as we land this morning, I want us all to just think about this one point. Are you becoming the person that you are looking for? Instead of worrying about finding the right person, are you becoming the right person? 1 Corinthians 13 points us towards how we can become the best person in the world to date. And this is for all of us, by the way, actually, whether we're single or married or looking for a relationship or not. Paul tells us that love is patient. Love is patient. It waits endlessly. Love is kind. It's considerate and it's thoughtful. Love does not envy. It does not outtell a story. It does not make somebody else feel bad because you've had a bad day. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It protects and it trusts. Love hopes and love perseveres. Here Paul is talking about love, real love, the kind that is a selfless concern for the welfare of others. Dating is fun, but don't be frivolous. You can be creative, but don't be careless. You can be bold, but don't be boundaryless. But above all, learn to love the way that Paul teaches us. Throw yourselves on the mercy of God, bask in his unconditional love, and from that place, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which will enable us to live beyond ourselves for the sake of others and to glorify God.